The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Sylvester, don't let go. James, I need you to hang on right now. I'm, I can't. James. I need you. Hold on. Just don't hang on please. for a little while longer. Don't let go. Just a little while longer. Do not let go. I'm looking down below me, and it's just cliffs. Just, and it's just... I'm almost there. I'm almost to you. I Look. This, I don't know it's why you have this... Look at that. <laughs> oh, Sylvester. So, you're a different Sylvester than I was expecting, but please, do not let go. All right, so I'm, now I'm going to climb out to you, right? But what I need you to do is answer a couple quick questions for me. It's, it's imperative to your life. Uh, all right, just, is it, like, are you going to let me die if what I get them wrong? What did you think of what is... my screenplay? I thought it was a little... The one I won the... Well, the one I won the Oscar for, don't forget. But what did you think I... What did you think of my Oscar-winning screenplay? Do you want a, Do you want an honest answer? James, give me an honest answer! You're gonna fall! All right, all right, just don't let go. Look, I can feel myself slipping. I'm gonna fall into these cliffs. I'm hanging here off of... Don't let go! You're gonna fall! All right, I'll give you an honest answer. Paul, or Sylvester, <laughs> you need to learn how to write... Dialogue a little better. I okay, I think we're gonna let him fall. I thought it was a little. Let him fall, actually. This what is what do I'm you gonna mean, let him fall. He seems like such a nice boy. Now, if I'm if... gonna pilot this chopper for you, you're gonna save the nice young man who's falling on the cliff. Don't worry, honey. We're gonna come and get you. Thanks, Miss Lafarge. I liked the casserole. You're very, very welcome. Sylvester's just being a naughty, naughty boy. A naughty, now, naughty Sylvester. boy. Sylvester. Okay, Sylvester. Look. Sylvester. Yes? Look, if my death means you get to write better screenplays, then that is how I want to go. I need... I accidentally dropped him. 
This has been a real cliffhanger. Uh, so last episode, guys, we left this on a cliffhanger, and what you just heard right now was a was a cliffhanger thing. <laughs> to Mick, I'm sorry if you tried to listen to that. Yeah, we should introduce ourselves. This is the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White History Podcast. And my name is Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. Now, we left off on a cliffhanger last week. Mm. Uh, it was a it was a real humdinger. James, can you, uh, why don't you tell me about that? I forget. It all started when we were doing a Dirt Bombs episode of our podcast. And we, were, uh, we had our third person on, Kate McCoy. Fantastic guest, talking all things Dirt Bombs. And it just so happened that as we were talking about the Dirt Bombs, the creator of the Dirt Bombs himself happened to ring us on Paul's telephone and proceeded to indulge us in a very impromptu interview, which was fantastic. So gracious with his time. Yes. And we were able to capture it all with Kate on the line. So we stopped the episode when he called, and we told lots of people to listen to that so they could hear that little segment, and then I'm sure they were disappointed when (laughs) we told them, you have to wait until next episode. Yeah, you see, James, the reason why we did the Dirt Bombs episode for all you listeners at home was because the Dirt Bombs were a seminal part of the Detroit music scene around the time the White Stripes were sort of making it big and the go, etc., etc., and really, I mean, I think the White Stripes, the go, and the Dirt Bombs are kind of the three main ones, I'd venture to say. Yeah, Detroit bands who are all coming to prominence around the same time. And as Mick said, as I put a quote in the last episode, if the White Stripes are the Beatles, Mick likes to think of the Dirt Bombs as the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, definitely one of the big acts in the town at the time. Yes, and if you'd like to learn just everything there is to know about a very surface-level view of the Dirt Bombs, you can listen to episode 63 of the podcast, and that was last episode. But as James mentioned, you know, we were... (laughs) We had been tweeting at Mick Collins for a few months, (laughs) and we had been, let's say, achieving little to no success. He was responding, but we weren't really able to get anything together, and then just out of the blue, like, before we all sat down for the interview with Kate, I sent one last Hail Mary tweet It's just saying, hey, we're going to sit down and talk about this now. And he did respond, and that's when he called. And it was was just one of the – James, I think that was one of my favorite moments I've ever experienced on this podcast. It was so electrifying because it was completely out of the blue. Like it it very easily could have just not happened. It took all three of us by complete surprise. I know Kate was at a loss for words for most of it. Yeah. I know I was at a loss for words in the beginning. I think I even told him that I'm sorry I wasn't prepared because we were in the middle of another interview. (laughs) (laughs) And he apologized. He went, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Like, like we should get back to that and uh, he'll hang up and I'm... I'm sitting there like, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, so we had such a great time talking to Mick, and obviously Mick's relationship with Jack White goes back a long way. Uh, Jack White obviously holds a lot of reverence for what Mick did with the Gories, as is, we'll talk about it in a moment, but, you know, Third Man has been responsible for releasing or re-releasing Gories material on their label, and there's a big old wall-sized image of the Gories playing at uh, Third Man Cast. So there's a lot of connectivity between these two figures years mick is a really accomplished and interesting person and he was so gracious and so wonderful and so funny we just had a ball i think it was one of my favorite interviews we've ever done i mean it's hard to top stuff like rob jones and ben jenkins and jim diamond but man 
Mick got close. He may be my favorite one. If if for the James, if nothing else, for the bowling tips. Oh man, the bowling. That talk was so good. And you guys will get to hear it in just a little bit. But before we get to all of that. We're sorry. <laughs> Is there something we should be apologizing for, James? Oh, you best believe it. <laughs> this this podcast and the intro and everything. Oh, you're talking about like, uh, yeah. Yes, Paul, there's something we should be apologizing for. Okay. James, this segment is called Annoying as Hell, in fact. We're sorry. They're annoying as hell, in fact. Sorry. We're sorry. my little shell intact. Want to tell the fine folks what annoying as hell, in fact, is? Uh, sure. Annoying as hell, in fact, is when we are annoying as hell, in fact. <laughs> and we have something to apologize for. Namely, as you'll see in this interview, I did not know this at the time, and I feel terrible that I didn't know this, but I referred to the dirt bombs several times in the last episode as garage rock, Paul. Mm. That is a misnomer. That is not what the dirt bombs are. And uh, as it turns out, Mick doesn't take kindly to that term either. He doesn't really like that. For the dirt bombs, I think he appreciates, I yes. think what, and we'll listen to this a little bit more in the interview, but he is fine with it for the Gordies because that's sort of what the Gordies were. But I, I think he resents it. the dirt bombs being lumped into that category. And it is something right. that Kate made reference to in our segment, which we didn't really realize as we were doing the core of the episode because. Uh, not to just shatter the fourth wall to pieces, but we do record these things in segments occasionally and yes. uh, not all at once. And so, uh, yeah, that was a little mix up on our part. And, you know, we're very sorry about that. Yeah, we're sorry. And for you know what? He doesn't like it for good reason, because you know what? The Dirt Bombs are an eclectic group singing eclectic music from all different ecclesies, ecclesiastes, <laughs> yeah, so it, it makes sense to not call them garage rock because you know what? They're coming from a rock sensibility, but they are playing music of all different genres, including pop and punk and uh, techno and all that other stuff, which we go over, but I made a slip of the tongue and called it garage rock. So you know what? Uh, to Mick and to all of you out there, we're sorry. Yeah, there's another apology that we had coming to you all. We let a couple of cuss words go we shouldn't have, and uh, we we missed a few of those like uh, f- and shit. and I think there may have been a couple of in there. A few bastards. Uh, yeah. yeah, some bastards. There was some real up shit being said in that last episode, and uh, normally we bleep that kind of shit out. So we're really sorry about that. Fuck, 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 shit, fuck, shit, bastard, bastard, bustard. What's a bustard? <laughs> so um. So yeah, that, we're, we're sorry about that too. And That's my fault, yeah. It was just a poor editing job on my part because I was a, a sleepy man when I edited that. So apologies. Lots to apologize for this episode. All right, James, let's get into this episode here, huh? I'm super excited, Paul. I can't wait, and I can't wait to have everybody out there listen to this. And we hope you uh, appreciate it uh, the same way we appreciate it. Well, James, before we get into all of that, I thought we would do a brief, just rundown, top line, 
bio of Mick Collins because tip to toe. We normally prepare those things for these extended interviews, but in this case, we did not because we were not expecting an extended interview to happen. So mostly we just talked about bowling. But do you want to talk about Mick Collins real quick here? Mick Collins is a Detroit native, famed member of the Detroit rock band The Gories, a band that rose to fame across the world, really. I mean, they didn't make a huge splash in the United States while they were around in the beginning, but they really rose to fame after the fact. And Mick would, would be in many, many different bands and eventually would start a band called The Dirt Bombs, which includes many talented musicians and Detroit native rock phenoms such as Co Molina, Ben Blackwell, Jim Diamond, Pat Patano, just all over the board. Yeah. Uh, many, many different talented folk. Yeah. So uh, Mick Collins was born on December 18th, 1965, and he comes from Detroit, Michigan, as you say. Came from a uh, musical family, at least music fans, because his household record collection was evidently a major inspiration for him as a kid. But that's right. Also, coming up in the 60s in Detroit, as Jim Diamond mentioned in our interview with him, uh, Motown was a huge influence. And so music was pouring out of Detroit at this point in time. And people like Mick and people like Jim were just soaking it all up. Mick's first band, or at least the first band that I could find that Mick joined, was called the U Boats in 1981. Ever in called the U Boats. They're the only surviving songs, and that's because we got the words out of a comic book. He was a member of several other groups, including the Floor Tasters mm-hmm. in the mid '80s, uh, the Screws. Remember when you used to say that I was always in your way? I was wasting your time and mine. Remember, baby. as well as uh, being on and off in a group called the Voltaire Brothers, which is a funk group. She's got funk emotion. She got a roll like a ship on the ocean. She's got something that's good for me. She gonna give me something good, baby. 
I've got funk emotion. I come out strong like a locomotion. I've got something that's good for her. I'm gonna give her something good, y'all. Funk emotion. There's lots going on, but I guess the main thing, as you mentioned, James, that Mick is known for is his membership in a group called The Gories, which he helped form at the tender age of 20 years old in 1986. That group features Dan Croa on guitar and Peg O'Neill on drums. And their name, James, I don't know if you know this, is a reference to the uh, 1960s television show Gidget, which featured a band called The Gories in the, in the series. I never watched Gidget. If you're in doubt about angels being real, I can arrange to change any doubts you feel. Wait till you see my Gidget, you want her for your Valentine. And now, last but not least, the wildest, the freakiest sound around today. The new stars of Swinging Teens, the Glories! Let me show you where it's at. And she is the vampire of the surfing set. I can't say I've even ever heard of it. Yeah, we had a lot of exposure to 60s television in our childhood, but Gidget missed me for some reason. But learning that their group's name is an esoteric reference to a 60s TV show explains a lot about the Dirt Bomb's infatuation with Nichelle Nichols and Tina Louise later. Right. And I just want to say, as far as interesting 60s TV shows are concerned, that's number two. Last week, we made a Lancelot Link reference, which is a chimp secret agent. Uh, from, uh, which was a television show in the 60s. It was called Lancelot Link. I encourage all of you to look that up. Wow. The full title was Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, which almost gives you the, <laughs> like, almost gives you the connotation that he is secretly a chimp. Yeah. Like, maybe he's not supposed to be. I don't. So he's like a closeted monkey? I guess. I don't. Sure. I mean, ape. Great ape. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the great ape family. Uh, the Gorys, uh, James, as you made reference to, are sort of a legendary group in the garage rock genre of music. So the Gorys are very popular in retrospect. They often show up on a lot of best of group charts, things like that. At the time, not super duper famous in terms of exposure. Just to give you an idea of what they were charting like at the time, uh, the Gorys album, I Know You Fine, But How You Doin', which was released in 1990, ranked at uh, the 679th best album of 1990. And their album, Out of Here, from 92, came in at 533. So they're a presence, but they're an underground presence. They're more of what you'd call like uh, musicians' musicians, I think. They're the kind of musicians that other musicians look to and say, hey, that, that right there is uh, what I'm aspiring to.
their album House Rockin' in 1989 was uh, the 289th top album that year, so that gives you a rough idea of their actual popularity. But the band split in uh, the 92 to 93 period, but reunited in 2009 and are still active on and off from what I can tell to this day. The Gories are significant in that they took garage rock and applied obvious blues influences to it, which will sound familiar to Jack White fans, because that's exactly what Jack does. Jack said of the group, they're the best garage band in America since the 1960s. Very primitive. They made people with Les Pauls and Marshall amps look like idiots. <laughs> yeah, so Jack obviously holds them in some high esteem, and this is their description via Third Man Records. The Gories began in the cultural vacuum of Detroit 1986, with humble beginnings at a community concert series through the tumultuous end of their 1992 European tour. This is a band whose influence has far outstretched the ground they covered, rooted in the primal, primitive underpinnings of 50s rhythm and blues and unhinged 60s garage punk. The sound they came to was wholly their own. While band members Mick Collins and Dan Croa would go on to wider recognition in the Dirt Bombs and Demolition Doll rods, respectively, the Gories should be viewed in the same influential context as the Velvet Underground and the Cramps. While they may have barely sold any records, the folks that saw and heard these bands were inspired to create. It's time the Gories get their due. And get their due they did via Third Man Records, where Third Man re-released some of their music here, and this is via exclaim.c when that happened these days jack white is a label head in nashville but he's still staying true to his detroit garage rock roots back in the fall he honored motor city's own the gories with an archival live album from third man records as well as a solo folk album from the band's danny croa which i did not know about that's very cool Mm -hmm. next third man will be releasing a new seven inch from the band This is big news because the Gories haven't released a record of new material in more than 20 years. It contains two tracks. Be Nice is a cover of Garage Punk's The Nomads, while On the Run is described in an announcement as the first original badass Mick Collins Croa composition in forever. I met up with Alice at a corner cafe. She said, why don't you and me find some ways to play? Just in a feather, bust through the dough. He said, don't let me catch you in this town no more. I'm on the run. Yeah, he chased me to and fro. I'm on the run. Waving a great big old 44. I'm on the run. Yeah, I guess I ain't going around Alice no more. I'm on the run. Technically speaking, On the Roan isn't actually brand new, since it appeared on the streaming compilation Garage Swim in 2013. This is the first time it's being released in a physical format. The Gories will be selling a triple-color version of the 7-inch on their European tour this spring, while a standard black pressing will be available from the label. It's officially out on May 19th and yada yada yada. So that's a roundup of the third man involvement in the Gories re-releases. Yeah, Dan Croa appears in the Demolition Doll Rods if you watched that VP documentary the dutch documentary that we make reference to a lot in the previous episode the demolition doll rods play a little part in that as well and you can see dan croa in there he's the only male member of an all-female group oh yes i remember that mick was also in a group called blacktop from 94 96 
he also had some solo work as well. Other projects of his included uh, radio hosting on WDET Detroit Public Radio's show Night Train, as well as uh, producing a band called Figures of Light for their CD Drop Dead in 2011. So a lot of music going on with Mick Collins, a lot of history there with the Gories, and it spans decades. This is the man, James, that appeared on the phone to us a short while ago, and we are about to conduct a major interview with which uh, I think is super cool, and I think we should just get right into it. Paul, I've been hanging on this cliff for so long, my fingers have gone numb. Please, let's get to this episode. Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation... Welcome back, Kate. Thanks, guys. It's fun to be back. We have you on because you are a Dirt Bombs enthusiast. I am certainly a Dirt Bombs enthusiast. Thank you very much. Right. And to Mick Collins, who is uh, who we've been tweeting at tonight. Hey, you're always welcome on the show, Mick. Like, we, we'd like to have you on. And they would say... What? Are you making a surprised face? Paul, what I just are you heard, doing? I just heard from Mick. He says, give me a number. Should I should I put the should I put the number on the internet? Because that's what I'm gonna have to do. These aren't private messages. You'll just have All to right, get I'm it in cell phone. That's not a big deal, right? <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. This is probably a mistake. Uh, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm doing it. Do it. And if they get back into warp, our weapon is useless. Safety be damned. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope this, right. I'm not trying to give you bad advice. You need to do you're what you n- feel good, good about. Yeah. Oh, Suzanne is going to be so pissed. Spread some garage rock love to young oh, kids. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. oh. Hey, is this Mick? Hello? Hi, this is Mick Collins. Hey, Mick. Mr. Wolf. And now, the conclusion. Hi, this is Mick Collins. Hey, Mick. Thank you so much. We really appreciate no, uh, Thank you, thank you. Third day that I've been able to talk. Yeah, oh my god, that so, sounds so you're in luck. Oh, jeez. Well, we're glad to have you here, and we're glad you're talking. My god, can you sing is the real key question here. Uh, it's a little shaky. Okay. Well, it's a little weak right this minute, but hopefully in a couple of weeks I'll have built it back up again and I can get back in front of a microphone. Okay, that is good to know. That is good to know. <laughs> James and Kate, you want to say hi here? Hi, Nick. Howdy. How's it going, Mick? Good to talk to you. Thank you for calling us. That's super nice. Yeah, I, I was not <laughs> expecting that. We're in the middle of another interview. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. no uh, we happen to be talking to a, uh, a, a, a huge Dirt Bombs fan, Kate McCoy. Kate, tell them the t-shirt you're wearing right now. I am wearing You Are Being Watched right now. <laughs> Yeah. From the official, uh, yeah, right from the official merch table. So I'm pretty excited. <laughs> All right. Very cool. So, Mick, do you want to tell us a little bit? I mean, we've been going over the discography and we've been talking a little bit about the history of the group, but do you want to? I mean, I know you're, I know it's late where you are and stuff, but. Uh, it's like wanna... 10 o'clock. Don't even, don't even worry about it. Okay. The night is still young. I've only been up like three hours. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to tell us a little bit about your philosophy behind the band? What made you want to start this band that sort of started as a singles band and evolved from there? Can you give us a little background into your thinking behind this project? Sure, sure. When the Gories were on tour in 1992, before we broke up. I'm 
going around, we were actually, we just, we played a show in Germany in a town, a little tiny town called Weikersheim. And the next morning I thought, you know, this isn't going so bad. <laughs> I, think, I think I might, yeah, I had no portent whatsoever what was coming down the pike in just a few days. Yeah. But uh, I was like, ah, this, this isn't so bad. Maybe I'll do this when I get home. I'll form a band of my own because I actually hadn't had any thoughts of forming a band of my own. I thought, well, I'll form a band of my own. <laughs> and uh, so I started making some notes towards a band. Uh-huh. And um, and then, you know, the events of the next week or so happened. And it was like, well, maybe not ever again, ever. <laughs> and, 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 and then, uh, uh, then it, when it, I don't know, I didn't think about it for a while. But then I thought, man, you know, it's an art experiment. It would be kind of cool to have a band, you know. And then I start, I, and then you know, different things happen. And the original idea for the Dirt Bombs was that I was going to make fifteen four-song seven inches, okay, and then break the band up. Yeah. But while those records were coming out, to make a bunch of flyers and stuff for shows that never happened, <laughs> and then wait ten years, and then and then wait ten years. And then do a book on the experiences of people who swore they were at those shows. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Wow, that is genius. <laughs> that is. Now, did you get plan. did you get around to doing any of those? No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, I got sidetracked briefly by the idea of trying to break the Guinness World Record for the most records released in a year. <laughs> currently being held by Psychic TV. The number you must remember uh they did 35 lps in one year what wow yeah and Jesus. my plan before i found out how many records they cut was to i i, I took a seven inch record held it vertically and then i stacked more 45s against it till i had a cube <laughs> That's and that crazy. worked out to 87 inches wow and so then the plan wow. was going to make it. It was going to make eighty-seven inches, and that was going to be the plan. That was going to be the complete output of the band. And then, as I started on that, Horn Dog Fest was originally a three-seven-inch package, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, and I started doing that. And then, uh, in the Red Records, finally realized I was serious about making it all seven inches, and they balked at that. Yeah, <laughs> and I can uh, it became the it became the album. Wow. And then that was the beginning of the downward spiral into actually being a band as opposed to an art project. Sure, sure. You're a comic book guy. Marvel did that with a character called the Sentry, where they talked about the Sentry as if it was this lost creation by Stan Lee from the Silver (laughs) Age, just to whip people into a frenzy about this character who was really just sort of a Superman knockoff. And, and it wound up getting all these legs and people got really interested in the century. That's so funny that you that you had that idea before they did. And <laughs> that's crazy. That's really, really cool. And and we were talking a little bit about this notion that, uh, you know, even Jack had experimented with the, the idea of like doing a bunch of 45s and then 
you know, sort of having that just be the output and then maybe compiling them later, maybe not. But yeah, it seems it, like it, it always it, it's a great idea, but it is a logistic impossible. It's almost impossible, logistically speaking. I won't say it is totally impossible. It's not totally impossible, but right. it is almost impossible yeah. at the level that I'm at and that Jack was previously at. Yeah, yeah. Jack could totally do it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he could. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I'm game for calling the Guinness Book of World Records if you're still into the idea. We can, we can <laughs> yeah. get this output. Yeah, well, I actually, I had, I, when I had the idea, I started calling everybody I knew who had a record label at the time. And, you know, I've, I managed to get a dozen or more record labels interested. But really? for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I, I think my, my idea was to get each one on a different label. And there just weren't 80 independent rock record labels at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that was the, what happened there. So long gone, John didn't go for it, huh? He he was. Oh, he did. He was actually the first one to go for it. Really? <laughs> but he was still speaking to me at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like record, like four sixty three or something like that. You were pretty early in his yeah. sympathy days. We briefly mentioned that you're a comic book fan. Do you still? Oh read? no, I'm totally a comic book fan. Yeah. But okay. living, living in New York means I don't get to buy any anymore. Ah yes. Oh, you don't I, you don't head down to uh, Midtown Comics or uh, St. Mark's maybe. <laughs> no, it's funny because when before I lived here, I actually had an account at Midtown because I, I came to New York often enough that I would have to get my comics there sometimes. <laughs> but I don't have one now. Who's your superhero of choice? Oh, I don't really have. It's funny, I don't actually have one. The, uh, when I was a kid, I, I could, actually I can tell you that as, as DC Comics goes, Green Lantern was my guy. Hey, there you go. I nice. liked. I read Green. My brother. My brother was heavy into. He liked Thor, and he liked Captain America because of the Falcon. And um, and then I liked Legion of Superheroes. Sure. And Green Lantern. Yeah. What's not to love about space cops? Come on. <laughs> the ship is destroyed, and I'm too weak to carry on my work as intergalactic space patrolman. I must seek out a deserving Earthling to pass on my battery of power. My power ring will find an honest and fearless one to take my place. I just liked, I liked any comic books that took place in space. Like, I was a big fan of Fantastic Four, because they were always out in space. Like, yeah. the Inhumans, you know. I love those guys. That's what I liked about the Legion and what I liked about Green Lantern Corps. Like, they were always out in space. Wow. I mean, it's funny. I'm actually, yeah. I've, I've finally gotten hold of the complete Blackest Night saga, and I oh. just started reading it last night. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Blackest Night's great. Because <laughs> that happened after, I, that, that happened right as I moved here, so I never got any of those issues, and I'm just starting to read it now. <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yeah. Well, enough of that. To bring it back to interview, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> yes. Superheroes in general and 60s comics, which seem to be what you got hooked on, is very uh, bubblegummy, which lends itself to the bubblegum record that you guys put out, Ooey Gooey Chewy Kablooey, which is fantastic. Do you want well, to tell us a little bit about the making of that record? Sure. Apparently, and I don't remember any of this, but everyone assures me that this is the case. I joked about doing a bubblegum album for like a decade. Yeah. I said, yes, maybe one day the Dirt Bombs will finally cut the Bubblegum album. I never meant it. <laughs> I don't remember even saying it. But everyone assures really? me that for years I joked about doing a Bubblegum album. Well, finally, we reached a, you know, I reached a point where it's like, okay, what do we do now? Like, what do I do? What's the, the next album going to, what's the next concept? Because here's the thing, that every Dirt Bombs record is a concept album. Sure. Because I have a notoriously short attention span. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just am not interested in hearing a band play for 76 minutes, which is the length of a CD. 
Mm -hmm. just don't care. Like, no, there's probably less than a half a dozen groups who I would listen to for that long. And so I figured, well, if I don't, if I'm not willing to put up with band for that long, for that longer than 40 minutes, why should anybody else? Why should I subject somebody to that? Sure. I wouldn't want to listen to it. I'm not going to make somebody else listen to it. <laughs> well, so, so like original LPs used to be about 40 minutes anyway, about that yeah, much, and then CDs kind of changed the game. So. Exactly. Yeah. And for and for you know, I'm a I'm a singles person. Mm-hmm. I, I like I enjoy 45s and EPs more than I enjoy a full length LP unless it's unless it's great. But in any way, any event, in order to make an LP, because I like singles so much, LPs are a huge pain in the neck. Yeah, and so my reasoning when I you know as far as the dirt bombs goes, my reasoning is that the record's got to be interesting enough for me to make if I'm going to make somebody else listen to it. Sure. So to that to that end, every album has had a different subject matter. You know, like we're gonna you know a punk album. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's it's almost covering it's, rock and roll in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that but that harks back to the you know the idea that the entire thing was an art project from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so the Bubblegum album was just another part of another part of that. It's another type of rock and roll that you would have read about mm-hmm. if you were reading about rock and roll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what that was. And then so I went and cut the album here in New York. Spinning round and round Really kind of funny Yeah 
I have a burning question on the tip of my tongue here, and it, is, and it is, what band would you listen to for 70 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> That's, you That's know, a good question. If it's a short list, you know, it's probably, you know. Yeah, it's a real short list. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, because... why don't we start with the White Album, the, the, the Beatles Double Album. That's about 70 minutes or so. How about that one? Whose? The Beatles double album. <laughs> oh, oh, White Album? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I have not listened to the White Album all the way through, probably since 1979. <laughs> <laughs> when I liked it. Oh, no. It's actually, my, it's, the White Album is my, my favorite Beatles record, yeah. actually. Yeah. That's I know, I mean, it's Revolver and the White Album, and then everything else is kind of down in the pile there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's when they were experimenting with genre. I don't have any Beatles in my personal jukebox, but I do like those albums. It's funny you mentioned Revolver, too, because uh, I think uh, George Harrison once said that, or no, it was Ringo, actually, believe it or not, of all people, who said that uh, the White Album was really the follow-up to Revolver. They got a little crazy in the middle there, but um, they sort of picked up where they started with Revolver. But uh, Well, that's cool. So, all right, so we got the White Album. Anything, anybody else? Any other <laughs> fandoms of you? I know we're putting you on the spot here, but, you know. Uh, no, Funkadelic. Is probably the only back. I, right. I can sit and listen to Funkadelic all day. That's two. And, That's a and, list. Um, let's see. Who else <laughs> right this minute? Um, John Coltrane. Uh, no, that isn't strictly yeah. true. Probably Joe Henderson right now before John Coltrane. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if Coltrane was the choice, that would be a, a great choice as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's so few. Because I just, like I said, my attention span just doesn't run that long. Yeah. There are things I get fascinated by, and I, I might get into a rut, but even a rut only lasts about an hour. Right. <laughs> now, what about classical music? Because I had heard that you had started your musical appreciation with some classical music. Can you sit down yeah. with that for a long time? Do I still, I, 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 you know, I, it, it was just part of everything else when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I didn't realize as, as a kid that that was anything weird or out of the ordinary because, you know, my brothers and sisters had classical records. There was a classical radio station in Detroit. You know, it was just around. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it's, it's funny, it wasn't until I actually started learning to play piano that I realized that not everybody listens to classical music all the time. Huh. <laughs> and even we didn't listen to it all yeah. the time. It was just something that you listened to. Like, you know, there was soul music was on the radio and gospel mm-hmm. music was there and, you know, 
there was rock music coming off of CKLW, and there was classical music. You just sure. it was just there. I remember you. Uh, there's a quote from you from oh, there's a Dutch documentary James and I had watched when, when we were. Ah uh, uh, yes. Yeah, where you where you you the, made mention famous, of. Uh, I, br- I nearly broke my ankle right before they rolled camera. Really? What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. They came to get me, and I fell down the stairs and wrecked my ankle. Oh, no. And, and uh, what you what you can't see in the documentary is that I'm on crutches during the entire thing. Oh my gosh! They edited really? out part of me walking, like hobbling around on crutches. Oh no. Is that why you're playing uh, drums on Rated X? That's why my bowling in that thing is so bad. Ah. I come from a family of pro-am bowlers, and I bowled like a 76 in that documentary. Well, we'll, I couldn't we'll, tell we'll take family your, what had happened. We'll take your word for that one, you know. <laughs> excuses, excuses. I know. Right? Yeah, I, I couldn't tell my dad. My dad actually asked me where I'd been all day, and I told him everything except oh, and I went bowling. Yeah. I couldn't face him. Because <laughs> he would have said, what'd you bowl? You know, and I was—I couldn't tell him I bowled less than a hundred that day. That is embarrassing. That's embarrassing. <laughs> it would have been a family shame. Yeah. Now wait, do you do the whole spin and everything? Because let me tell you, I've been—I look at people who do the spin with their wrists, and I think, my God, that looks so effortless when they do it. And then whenever I try and spin it, I crush some five-year-old's head in with a with a twelve-pound <laughs> bowling well, my ball. Dad, like I said, I come from a family of pro-am bowlers. My dad taught me how to do that. Oh man, how no? Okay, uh, well, all right, we're off on another tangent. But how long? All right, so let's talk about real-time learning. How many outings before you were okay at the spin? Because that's pretty tough. He started teaching me that when I was 11. And I was probably not good at it until I was 22. That is so much time. Man. That's so much time. (laughs) That is way too much time. I am never going to do the spin. I'm just... Yikes. I'm just going straight from now on, guy. I'm so sorry. I can't do ten years. I can't do that. <laughs> but I just it took it took time, but I got good at it. And it was doubly difficult for me because my dad was left handed. Okay. Yeah, so you're wow. I mean you could look like look in a mirror sort of thing, I guess, watching him right. do it. Like I don't know. <laughs> I just had to look what look at what he was doing and then try and do it backward. Man. It probably helped when he needed to teach you how to tie a tie though. <laughs> tie a tie three times in my life and I've forgotten it each time now <laughs> you, you and me both I, I don't think I'm yeah. it's clip-ons forever for me with that all right well so let's okay let's assume let's shave five years off the sentence for the reversal of the left versus the right hand I still don't think I could spend five years doing that Nick but I I don't I don't think I, could, I don't think I could do that it's a great deal of repetition <laughs> and you just have to you have to what does he just learn to aim it's it's you have to figure out where the ball goes when you twist your hand like that and then aim from there it's the the spin is actually (laughs) is actually secondary to aiming the ball okay yeah. I'm seeing it in my mind in one way, and then in a whole other way, I'm not seeing anything of what you're talking about, but I'm trying. 
I'm trying really hard. I'll stick to wee bowling. What I learned how to yeah, do was is, is throw the ball really fast. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> That's what I do. I know that, like, depending on how fast I can get the ball going, where the spin is going to start. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah for, yeah, for me it wasn't about it wasn't about spinning the ball, it was about velocity. The was, spin is going to happen anyway. You're, it's just yeah. a matter of getting the ball far, far, far enough down the alley so that when the spin does start, you'll actually hit pins and not two lanes over. Not to blow smoke, but I think that may have actually been helpful. But <laughs> I, I actually might, I'm going to try and do that. See, I feel good, I feel good about that. Yeah, you have enough Dirt Bombs members, previous members, to create a bowling league. Has that true. ever crossed your mind? <laughs> yes, yeah, so there are enough ex Dirt Bombs to form five other bands called the Dirt Bombs. Oh, oh, hey, speaking of ex Dirt Bombs, you can answer this for us, Patrick Keeler. When did he play with the Dirt Bombs, or did he? He did. He did. Yes, he played with the Dirt Bombs towards the end of our 2006 tour. He did the last half dozen shows. Wow, nice. Pantano had a cat that fell ill while we were on the road, and he blazed home, and um, Keeler was in the opening band. Huh. Hey, wait, <laughs> what? In 2006? That, that was Raconteur's tour time. What was he doing? Um, it was... Uh, they hadn't really happened yet. Okay, all right, so maybe yeah. early? It might have been... 2000. No, no, wait, I'm sorry. It might have been 2003. Oh, okay. okay. Sometime between okay. 2003 and 2006. So Keeler sat in... Now, what do you think he bowls? You think he bowls like a 107? <laughs> He's probably pretty good now. <laughs> He's got a lot of power in there. Yeah. Now, if you had to pick, Nick, and you're on the island from Lost, and you're trapped there forever, and you can do music or you can bowl. Okay, all right. I was ho- I was sort of hoping right. you would say that, but I would also have been happy with the other answer too. I think. <laughs> James, this interview is so cool. I think we should only interrupt it this one time. Agreed. First of all, hearing about the Gorys breaking up and then Mick looking to form this fake band that he was gonna just create fake concert posters for. It was all sort of a weird attempt to outdo the Guinness World Record for releases of albums in a year. There's just so much in this interview that I love, and that is but the tip (laughs) of the iceberg. I was so happy to hear that. I think the idea of putting fake posters around is 
amazing. I did that in high school uh, <laughs> during like the homecoming stuff. You know, people were putting up uh, homemade posters of vote me for homecoming queen and king and duke and duchess and all that stuff. And so I started making my own of vote me for supreme overlord uh, of homecoming <laughs> and got called to the principal's office. But I'm glad to see me and Mick were on the same wavelength kind of. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's get people confused. Yeah. The the real real motivation there. Well, I mean, I, you oddly just touched on something kind of relevant to the Jack world is that Jack was trying to keep people confused too with the white stripes, with the brother sister thing and all that. Yeah. It creates intrigue and buzz. And it it's no wonder that Jack would have found a kindred spirit in Mick. And uh, you know, for all we know, and I think it's probably reasonably likely to say this, you know, maybe modeled a bit of his own mystique after the kinds of things Mick was doing. You know, at least to a certain degree. Probably not, like, all the way, but at least a little bit. Yeah, and like we make mention of, you know, it gets your band off on a foot of being already established, yeah. even, like, right off the bat. Because everybody's like, if you see a fake poster, you're like, oh, they must have already done so many things. Like, right. How haven't I heard of these people? And it makes you interested automatically. And the Stripes had that uh, to a degree. I mean, they, they seemed like they should have been noticed. I respect that decision Mick was going for. I liked that direction. Yeah, I do too. I think we're about to get into, James, some really cool stuff where he describes his first meeting with Jack. So we're going to get into that in a moment. But, you know, I just wanted to remark one more time of how funny all these stories were. And I love that his attention span plays into his approach to music because I often say this, you know, we both work in creative fields. Sometimes I just want to do stuff that would appeal to me to a certain degree. You have to look at a wider audience, but if you're not creating art that appeals to you and you're not being true to your own taste, then I think you're doing your art and yourself a disservice. And so I think it's really cool that Mick's whole feeling about I can't hold my attention that long for bands just was one of the driving forces behind the dirt bombs. Yeah, and all you have to do to find an example of this in Paul is look to our intros. Uh, they're for us, mostly. <laughs> but yeah, I found that super interesting, too, because there are a lot of bands that I have a very short attention span on as well. You know, it's something I never really thought of and processed for myself, but hearing him say it, it made a lot of sense. There's bands where I don't want to hear more than a couple songs. I don't want to hear an entire album. Yeah. It made me wonder if he is a Beatles fan or not when we mention the White Album, because I feel like that might be one of those bands where his attention span was limited. I'm not sure. I, I think so. I think that's, that's the vibe I got anyway that he was. But yeah, it seemed like he was very specific about his Beatledom anyway. So um, hey, without further ado, let's get back into this interview here and listen to what uh, Mick Collins has to say. And again, thank you, Mick, for joining us on the program. Yeah, thank you so much. I followed you on Twitter and I see that you DJ a lot. I was just wondering about your DJ sets and if you have kind of concepts when you go into those nights. Um, I feel like I've seen you maybe just post things on social media where people will come up and make a request and you're like, absolutely not. Um, so I wonder <laughs> if, if maybe you have kind of an idea when you go to DJ that sort of like the album concept, like tonight you're going to play this or does it fit together somehow or, or does it come together for you in some way? Uh, sometimes I do. Most times I just take the records in my, my hard drive and I just, whatever I'm, you know, just start playing records and uh, maybe get into a groove there. Um, I used to play, I had a residency at a, at, a, at a place in Detroit 
where I played, you know, sort of whatever I felt like playing. Then at about 12, I would just start playing house music mm-hmm. for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And then from about 12 to 1 or 12 to 2, and then after that, it would be pretty much dub reggae until they threw me out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the place that I DJ now here in New York, I just more or less play whatever is striking my fancy that moment. Yeah, uh, I might yeah. occasionally dig through a box or like a, my box of 45s and I'll grab a handful of those and be like, okay, this is what I'm playing tonight. I don't, I've, and I'll have no idea what any of it is. <laughs> I'll just have grabbed a random handful of records. Like, I'm going to play that tonight. Yeah. But I, I just sort of go, you know, it's all impulse because that's more how I like, how I like to DJ. I don't have a set. You okay. know, I, I, I've never had an actual set. And I, in fact, the day I discovered that DJs had sets, I was shot to the core. <laughs> <laughs> because it, number one it never occurred to me and number two in Detroit no one ever has a set Yeah, like all these all the right. techno guys like you know, the, you know Carl Craig and those Stacy Cole and those guys they, they never had sets back in the day I'm sure they might not but they never had sets back in the day they were grabbing the records you know right as they were being pressed and taken into the club and working it into the mix it was just like yeah. you, everybody went for feel you were you were going for feel you weren't you never had a set yeah. And that was a right. shocking, literally shocking thing to me. That makes sense. Yeah, because how can you have a set if people aren't getting into what you're putting on, and you might have yeah. to change? You know what I mean? It seems weird. Yeah, yeah. You're like you're you're, you're you know you're you're entertaining a crowd. How are you going to entertain? A, is there does a DJ? How can you entertain a crowd with a with a pre you know a pre selected set of recordings? Unless you know you worked it. Yeah. You, you've, you spent time, and like yeah. I said, it just we just never did. That's just not how it was done in Detroit. Yeah, you got out there. You, you sort of gauge how the audience was feeling, and then you pulled a bunch of records to to work that. Right, right. And yeah. that's always how I've done it. Yeah, very cool. Obviously, Jack has an aversion to, to set lists and things like that. But I caught the St. Vincent show last night at the Palladium, and she—it's funny you mentioned sets because she does a one-woman show to a pre-recorded thing of her album uh, and yeah. hits and things like that. And she makes it work really, really well, partly because everyone's coming there to see her anyway, so it sort of works in that way. But sure. like, other than that, you have to be able to adapt, like, unless you're in those very specific cir- circumstances. Right. You know, the, the Dirt Bombs, we've had a, a, a couple of sets that we've done over the years, but I really like to, I, I like to fly by sea. Like the next, the next Dirt Bombs tour, I plan to learn a whole lot more songs, so it's more or less different every night. It keeps it fresh. Yeah, Yeah, it keeps it interesting. We are all looking forward to the next Dirt Bombs tour. We've been talking about that before you called in. Like, how (laughs) excited. Next year, you guys are going to love this. Next year uh, marks the 25th anniversary. Ooh. Yes. There's definitely going to be a 25th anniversary tour. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. That is very nice. (laughs) I don't know how you do this, Mick, but... I download your compilations that you make for the seasons, and uh-huh. I always just think it's so interesting. I mean, it, does it just speak to you, and you think, oh, this is winter, or oh, this is spring? Because I feel like that there's a purpose for each song, like this is winter, or this is spring, and yes, just what goes into just what goes into that. They're all for for me. They're it's more um, they're more mood. I'm not actually like trying to tell a story or anything with the songs, but they're definitely moods. And a lot of those songs, especially the really old ones, like the ones from the '70s and the '60s, and that, those are songs that you know for me they evoke that season. Mm-hmm. You know, like for you know, there's a yeah. there might be a song in there that is like for me. Like I think I talked about um, Horace Silver at one point. There's an album Horace Silver and Sabu. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a track called Horoscope. And for me, that song always evokes, like, looking out the window and, like, looking at the freshly fallen snow. appreciate them yeah there's always more (laughs) there's always more songs which is the best thing about doing those comps yeah it's always exciting when those come out oh well thank you (laughs) there's never i give very little feedback about those and and i don't use any of those programs as lets you see how many people are following you how many people have dropped like i don't use any of those so i never know what anybody thinks about the comps because no one ever says anything <laughs> well, I, I was gonna, I feel like I appreciate them and I I just I like the fact that I know that you think about it and it's nice that there's a meaning to it. So I, I really appreciate that and I think a lot of other people do too. Thank you. I'm actually, yeah. I've gotten better about putting them together now because I I've, I'm working two and three seasons in advance now. I'll hear a song, I'd be like, oh, that'll be good for the summer comp. I have a little directory that can throw that song in there. So by the time I actually start working on like sequencing it. The selection's already halfway done, <laughs> which is really, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm, I feel proud of myself for that. It's yeah. time management. It's just yeah. my one weak spot. <laughs> it's like, I have, I have abysmal time management. Well, we, I think we all do at a certain point. Uh, <laughs> I, I was 10 minutes uh, late to the interview tonight, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> I now I have I have a question here, and I would be remiss on our Third Band Records podcast to not ask of what your first impressions of a young John Gillis was uh, when he <laughs> when he emerged from the primordial ooze into Detroit. Can you tell us what your first impression of Jack White was? Uh, I'll tell you uh, my <laughs> first impression because I I don't actually recall when we first met, but my first memory is that. He drove to my house, him and Meg drove to my house, and I, I forget why now, but they told me that they'd driven, uh, I used to live on a street called Burwood, mm. and they'd driven across town on Burwood, and Detroit's a really big city, like, yeah. you, know, you, could, you could fit San Francisco, Boston, and Manhattan inside the city limits of Detroit, and there'd still be room to drive around them. Oh my God! So it probably yes. took him the better part of ninety minutes to get from his house to my house on, on this one street, which I've never driven from his house to my house. And uh, and I thought, man, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> wow! I, said, I think I said something about this kid's probably out of his mind yeah. something along those lines yeah. and that's the first memory of Jack I remember thinking man that's weird <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what that tracks with everything we've ever heard about him you know he's like direct <laughs> you know directions are for the week I'm trying to work I gotta work hard to put myself in this car box and drive across town yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's the first that's the first memory of, of Jack 
was seeing him. Uh, he was opening for the Dirt Bombs. Hey, nice. James, you mentioned the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, right? Yes. Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah. they had opened for you? Yeah. Well? Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they, they returned the favor by letting us open for them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and the five, six, seven, eights, maybe. Oh, the five, six, seven, eights, yes. Yeah. Good yeah. friends of ours. In fact, we, we talked briefly this past year about my producing their next album. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Nice. Uh, speaking of which, uh, what do you got coming down the pike? You got any new uh, stuff you want to plug? <laughs> um, nothing out yet, although I think I'm planning to do a Dirt Bomb single this year. Awesome. Yeah. There that's may, something to plug. Maybe one out, but it, because it's just me, it'll be on Bandcamp or something. So. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> it'll still be the Dirt Bombs. Yeah. Wolf Manhattan is recording this year also. That's fantastic. We'll look forward to more music from you. We've been enjoying James and I, you know, really getting to know your catalog. And obviously Kate has been a fan of yours for quite some time. I'm assuming that the label you dislike that's associated with the Dirt Bombs is Garage Rock. Is that the genre that you dislike? Yes. people say, oh, the Dirt Bombs are Garage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can you explain why? I mean, I feel like I love Garage Rock. I love the 60s Garage Rock. I don't really consider what happened in the 90s always Garage Rock, but... I just, I love it, nonetheless. So would you explain your aversion? Yeah, yeah, sure. I I wanted, you know, because the Gories were a garage band, very distinctly, very definitely a garage band, I wanted to play rock music in another, I want another rock band that didn't have that association. You know, know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't that I just, like, I'm kind of with you on the whole 90s garage rock. Like, it's not really... You know, I mean, having grown up listening to 60s garage rock, anything, nothing else, if it, anything that sound, doesn't sound like that isn't really garage rock. But, you know, I just want, I wanted, you know, uh, as I said earlier, the Dirt Bomb started out as an art project. So the idea yeah. that it would just be lumped in with bands that we had nothing in common with really bothered me. And as I've gotten older, you know, as, as the years have gone on, I've gotten less concerned with it, really. But also, I know that that's because anybody who's listened to the catalog knows that that's not really garage rock. Right. <laughs> so it's sort of an unfair... Come up to us, like I would say it, and people would come up to us, you know, and be like, yeah, I thought you guys were a garage band, but now that I've seen you play, I, I know better. Okay. And, and, and it would go, like, what would happen is we'd play a show, like we'd play a random show in the city, and then, you know, the, the guys, the, the, and all like the Gorys fans and Jack White fans and like Garage Rockers would be in the audience and we'd play the show like the first time we'd be there. Uh-huh. And then he'd go home and be like, I don't know. I thought they were cool, but they're not really cool. <laughs> and they duck their weird friend like, you might like them. So the next time we play, they'd bring their weird friend. 
you know. Right. And then the next time we play, the garage rockers wouldn't be there, but all their weird friends would show up. <laughs> and, then, and, then, <laughs> and then by the fourth or fifth show, we have our audience. <laughs> there you go. Okay. The Dirt Bombs have a reputation for live performances. You guys are known for having some really great live performances. Thank you. I pride, yeah, I pride, we pride ourselves on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is the best show you could remember, and what is the worst show you can remember? Oh, <laughs> I can tell you both of those, because they are etched into my brain. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I'll t- take the worst show first. Okay. Because <laughs> the best show actually sounds like the worst show at first. <laughs> the great. worst show uh, was in Zaragoza, Spain where we were playing it was the last show of the tour and we had pushed our gear past the point where it needed maintenance all of it Mm -hmm. and we were playing a place that had no ventilation it's central spain it's probably 103 degrees inside the club oh man we're sweating like racehorses and everything starts to fail oh no now we we're professionals so we you know we believe in multiple redundancy <laughs> yeah the two drummers thing yeah <laughs> so i have three guitars yeah. troy's got two basses co has got two basses and you know there's multiple there's extra drums there's extra cymbals yeah everything starts to fail we start breaking drum heads we start breaking strings I got down to like, and, but we have again. We have sets like we we have song choices. Like there's a fork. Oh, I broke this string. Okay, well that means we can't do these songs. We can do these songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, Troy broke a string. Well, we can't do these songs, but we can do these songs, kind of thing. So we're working our way through the the forks. All right, well, that's true. We broke a string. I broke another string. I got down to two strings on over three guitars. I had two <laughs> strings left on one guitar. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. If I push it any harder, the whole thing will blow. And, you know, and the audience is kind of standing there looking at us, and we're just like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the end of it, it was so horrible. Like, they weren't even applauding. Oh, uh, by the no. end of the show, they weren't even applauding us anymore. We're just like, all right, we're done. Uh, so, it, was, it was totally demoralizing, and we and we left like we just sort of packed up the split. It was the worst show ever played. Well, I mean, you guys could have like uh, emptied out the tip jar and you know played some Memphis Jug Band covers, and you know just... <laughs> uh, we were just so done. By the time you know we we were just so done, it was like I can't play. I just don't want to go on oh, anymore. Wow. Um, but we managed to play about an entire set's worth of stuff. We got through our, our full uh, you know, a full set of material, but it was all horrible. It was very dispiriting. But at the, at the end of it, we uh, two kids came up to us and said, "Oh, the show's great!" Blah blah blah. And we we gave them a broken symbol and half a bottle of Jack Daniels, and they went away happy. <laughs> that, was, that was that was that one. The two the, the best show, the previous best show was two thousand five, I think, in the Mud Club in Berlin, which was a really great show. But the best show i don't know it was 2003 the best show to date was 2005 and it was also in spain it was actually in barcelona uh we were playing the primavera festival and we were in a tent which uh is relevant in just a moment but before that while we were doing sound check the killers Mm -hmm. who were playing after us pulled up while we were doing sound check and their manager started telling us how great they were and he goes, oh, the, the killers are amazing. You guys, oh, you're all right, but man, the killer's going to knock your dicks in the dirt. And blah, 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 blah. 
uh, he like he insulted our manager. No. He insulted oh, our man. gear, uh. which oh. you know. I mean, he just he went on and on and on about how great the killers were and how you know how we were gonna we would have nothing but respect for these guys after they blah blah this this and that and the other thing, and he absolutely f***ing enraged us. And it came time for us to go on. Now, you know, they're going on after us, right? It came time for us to go on. And right before we went on stage, the sky opened up. And everybody, the, the tent filled up because people wanted to get out of the rain. <laughs> so we had, so there was 2,500 people. <laughs> we basically had a sold-out show, 2,500 people. And this guy had worked us, not having no idea... This guy had worked us into an absolute frothing frenzy. We before we went on stage. We, <laughs> before wow. we went on stage, we just kind of looked at each other and said, "You know what you got to do, right? You know what we got to do." Yep. Whoa. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're describing like D-Day or something. Like this is insane. Yeah. yeah. By the end of our set, we were bleeding. <laughs> Half of our gear was smashed to splinters. <laughs> My amp was on fire. Because wow. I burned the transformer. So it was, it was, it was, there was like a little tiny lick of flame coming out the back of an amp. Of a, of a hundred watt, high watt amp that I had just, I had just destroyed electronically. And the people were absolutely losing their minds. Oh my God, that's oh, amazing. The place had gone insane. Yeah. And the killers couldn't even look at us <laughs> they were just like nice. oh my god we have to follow that oh my god <laughs> that, that revenge is I, revenge I, is I sweet the band. i said I, I i told the i told the rest of the band i said there are times when i wonder why i bother <laughs> Nights <laughs> <laughs> like this. Yeah. Why I bother? Damn. Wow. It was the single best Damn. show we ever put on. And and after that show, the next time we went to Spain, we were actually on a TV show. Wow. Like we landed a slot on some TV show because of that performance. That's awesome. Now, did they tell you to create explosions and that they have room for pyrotechnics and things for? <laughs> um, <I'm> sh- <laughs> maybe well, first aid crews at the ready. It would have been a bad pyrotechnics under a tent would have been a bad idea. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I would point out that raises a good question. Both of your stories ended in destroyed equipment, so I think you yeah. might have a problem. <laughs> we have well. The- bombs are extremely t- hard on gear yeah when we're when we were yeah. touring all the time i had three sets of gear wow. um i had one set in the van mm-hmm. one set in the repair shop and one set at home and i would rotate them out every time every chance i got wow. whatever was in the van went to the repair shop huh. whatever was at home went in the van you know like that and mm-hmm. then just kept it going that's the way to do it i guess we're, yeah. we're real tough on we're real tough on gear but that's part that's the price we pay for the stage show well, you they, know, they you want the high flying act is stuff's going to get busted right. occasionally. They cut you Detroit guys from a tough cloth there. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Was John Baker your go-to guy for Spain or was that just the Australia tour? That's just Australia. Okay. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, just, Mr. Pastry, I, uh, right? I owe him a phone call actually. Oh, do you? Yeah, he's been trying to get the Gores to come down there and uh, we just can't seem to make it work. Maybe this summer there'll be 
there will be some festivals, so the Glories might wind up in Australia or something later on this year. Well, as a consolation prize for him, he can always just come on our show and talk about stuff and bowling for a while. Like if oh, he, he's got stories. Yeah, we would want to hear him. We we had heard from uh, Bruce Brand about this guy when we <laughs> when we interviewed Bruce. And uh, he said he used to call him Mr. Pastry, and uh, and he had some he had some funny stories about him. Yeah, all of that is true, by the way. All of that is oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Pastry. <laughs> oh no, I think I might have got Bruce in trouble. Uh oh. Yeah. No, no. Please quote. Please quote him on that. Um, no, 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 no. It's fine. No. Bruce, Bruce is not lying to you. <laughs> I do have one more quick other question. We have been racking our brains trying to figure this out. We have no idea who E. Wolf is. <laughs> but we all want to know. Yeah. So I we can tell you what his name is. He's, he's been in a few bands around okay. Detroit. Okay. But yeah, E. Wolf, e. Wolf is his name. It's been his name as long as I've known him. Fair enough. Really? It's like a superhero. <laughs> name. Yeah. <laughs> It's one word, like, yeah, E-Wolf is one word. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I, I have another mystery for you to solve, Mick. Mick, you're answering, <laughs> you're, you're solving all our mysteries tonight. Artes Graficos <laughs> is a company that did some design work, I believe, for you guys, as well as White Stripe stuff. Do you have any idea who that could be? Say the name again? It's a, it's a design firm called Artes Graficos. <laughs> yeah, that name rings a bell. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> ah, oh, we, we were close on that one. Uh, the name rings a bell, so the answer to your question must be yes, they did do something for us, but I couldn't tell you what and or when. <laughs> it's funny because there's a lot of, uh, you know, James and I, we, we talked about Beatles earlier. We James and I are big Beatle fans, and, you know, we grew up with a lot of information being really readily available, but we found that it more often than not, it takes some digging to find some of this stuff out and to get a little more insight on the people who were there at that time. And so we really appreciate you shedding some light on it We uh, where you can. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Happy to do so. Yeah. I am so, so happy and thankful that you joined us on this call, Mick. You have no idea how, how happy you've made with us. And I believe Kate as well. She's smiling. Uh, she's beaming. Kate is beaming. Right now. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the best surprise. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad you guys had a good time. Yes. Don't be a stranger. I would ordinarily be live tweeting this, except that I <laughs> I had to move rooms, so I was not able to live tweet the interview here. Uh, I think that I think that makes it dead dead tweeting. I think you're dead tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> We're such big fans of yours. Thank you so much. And hey, have a great evening. It sounds like you got a lot of fun stuff planned for tonight. You were just you just got up. You're moving around. It sounds like you got a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go uh, have an exciting evening of listening to records happening right now. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Take care, Mick. Thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. That was such a great interview. It's fantastic. Like you had said on Facebook, a lightning in a bottle. Very, very hard to recreate something like that. A surprise to both of us. Yes, and we are thrilled to have talked with Mick here, and I loved his story of meeting Jack White for the first time, where Jack, instead of taking the faster route to Mick's house, Jack decided to take the local route completely across Detroit. 
and Mick's feeling of who the hell is this guy? I just thought was the funniest thing. It was, but it, it totally tracks with Jack's personality and his whole deal, you know. And I, I really enjoyed how easy to talk to he was. He was really conversational. It, it surprised me. You know, a lot of interviews. I know both of us we we prepare a lot of notes, but this one because we didn't prepare, it felt really natural and he's really uh put our minds at ease and super nice guy it was a lot of fun and we thank you again mick and you're welcome back on the show anytime but uh james until then we're gonna get to some shout outs here first we have uh shout outs we're gonna do an all twitter edition of some people who are talking to us on the twitter and there are a lot of you we've got we'd like to thank jeff gibbons that's jeff spelled g-e-o-f-f so that's geoff yep We've got uh, Sonophone Records has been liking us and tweeting at us and retweeting us and all that stuff. So uh, thank you to Sonophone Records and Lori Tone Photo, who has been uh, also doing that, which is really cool. We also have some a retweet from at Dynamine on Twitter, so that's pretty neat. We have Snobs Compartitos. Yeah, Snobs Compartment. Snobs Compartitos. We have Kelvin Craig. Thank you, Kelvin. Ed McDonald or at Zazazaz. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, lastly here, it looks like we have Ortega's Music, Jason Lewis, uh, so many of you. So Kyla Keller, thank you uh, for your, all of our new listeners and people interacting with us on social media. Yeah, thanks so much. And as always, we have our tried and true crew who uh, come in day in, day out talking to us on Facebook, Twitter, all that. We have Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation, Jeremy Riles, keeping us on those rails. Mayo me, it's me, oh my. Eileen Corsano, we see you over there. Andre Ice Cold Lion Man, and uh, Adrian, the punk rock queen king. Callie Durga, our third person in spirit, always the red, red rain prosper. Ha <laughs> It's LOL 2.0. Can't forget about the heart of the operation with Amy Hart. Eric Andrew Dodson, we've got Eric Andrew Dodson. Dodson over here, David Poe, po 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 po. We've got S.A. Franco, whom we don't know what that means. Yvette Wilkins, Wilkin on Sunshine over there. We've got Brian Walter, be nicer to me, as well as Brennan Smith. You see, you go for an extra couple ninnas, and I'm fine with that. You do. I see. I figured that was look. There's a there's two extra dentists before he reacts now. James, you got somebody new on here? Yeah, look, I figured this person has been been talking to us, tweeting at us, liking our posts on Twitter. Uh, should we throw this person on uh, to our tried and true list? Yeah, let's do it, James. Who do we got? We'd also like to thank No Right Opinion on Twitter. That's at No Right Opinion on Twitter. We don't know your name, but we know that your opinion's not right. Yeah, and I love your description here, which is a reference to uh, Do, which is my favorite line from Do, actually. My aisles walk next to me, I look up, and then they fade away. It's a destruction of a mystery the more I listen to what they say. So uh, that's very cool. Thank you, at No Right Opinion on Twitter. And, James, if people would like to be one of the people we shout out toward, you can interact with us on social media. You can go to Facebook.com slash Third Men. Visit us on Twitter at Third Men Cast. You can go to thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com or thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our iHeartRadio page, which is over at Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can search the Third Men on there. James just posted a really funny new Third Men YouTube short. So check that out on our YouTube page. Just search the Third Men on YouTube or go to our Facebook page. Check that out. It's 
really funny animation James does for some of our more annoying skits. So that's really, really great. And then rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. As I mentioned last episode, it's gotten suddenly a lot easier to do this. So just take a couple seconds out of your day. I'm telling you, it really helps us if you just click the five-star button or whatever you think we've earned. And uh, But click the five-star button and uh, rate and review it, you know, just a couple line reviews. You know, you just copy and paste somebody else's review. That's fine too. Like just do it quickly. We don't want you spending too much time there, but it does really help us. And tell a friend about the show. Uh, it helps get the word out a whole lot. Right. What Paul said, uh, and also if you'd like to send any uh, listener questions, feel free to do so. You can email those to us at thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for help with the theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. And for all of those of you who uh, listened to the first episode of Yesterday and Today, thank you very much. Oh, yeah! We'll be putting those out uh, on a weekly schedule, so feel free to tune into that as well if you'd like to hear more from the Kaminsky clan, as it as it would, the Kaminsky family. Let's call it that. Let's keep Let's keep that other four little bird out of here. <laughs> yeah, um, our familial podcast network is growing. The uh, Yesterday and Today podcast was approved on iTunes. And so thank you to everybody who enjoyed that along with us. And there'll be a new episode every week. And we're just so excited for it. That is the Beatles podcast we do with our father, which we really produce for our father. He put it together. And that's a chronological history of the Beatles. Lots of cool music and interview clips. And it's the most researched Beatles fan documentary I've ever heard. So, really cool there. And James, until next week, I am going to be looking to rescue you from a cliffside. And I will be looking for a mountain to climb that won't have so many dangerous cliffs to dangle off of. There are there ain't no mountain high enough for that, James. Ain't no mountain low enough for this outro, Paul. I would like to leave. <laughs> Goodbye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. You know what? They say they say never meet your heroes, but obviously they have not met Mick Collins. <laughs> uh popping open this kraken because I'm gonna get a little bit a little bit drunk. I don't remember that. I thought I got them all. I, from me or from you? From or you, from, from, you. from you. From me? You dirty boy. Uh-oh. I lost the signal. You still are? <laughs> are you there? Are you there? Can you hear us? Hello? Can you hear yeah, us? You went, you, you went you dropped right away. Oh, I went dark? Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you.
man. Kate, can you I hear heard me? you, Kate. Okay. It's... Kate, can you hear me? Oh. I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. You uh, ask it again. We lost you there. The Skype, the Skype flag froze up. Okay. Do you want a Do you want an honest answer? Did that win the, did the screenplay win or was it the movie? Are you Pokey's mom? <laughs> Wow, it's Kate. been a while. I know, but I need to practice. I need to practice. <laughs> All right, ready? Right. Yes. Three. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have no shame. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. All right. This is going to be a deep cut. All right. Doing a Sil- Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger. <laughs> Too big a glug, Paul. <laughs> oh, God. All right, well, that means the clock is ticking before James's audio is unusable. Is this happening? <sighs> like, Mick Collins just called us? That's, that's oh, really man. wild. All right. Well, well. Is, again. <laughs> 2018 <laughs> made. Yeah. Uh, so, f- fun fact um, my audio cut out again.